Today we are talking about love. Today is a day when we express our love and gratitude toward our mothers. We get another month, a few weeks, and we express that love and gratitude to our fathers, that we, we take time every year to, to do that, to recognize the gratitude, the debt that we have to our parents, and to express our love and our, our gratitude to them. Underneath and behind that, biblically, is our love and our gratitude that express to our Father, our Heavenly Father, the Father of our souls. And that the love that we express to our parents is, in a, is a small picture. Right? It's in small what we do and what we celebrate with our parents, our mothers, our fathers, is a, is a small picture of the love and the gratitude that we express toward the Father of our souls. And the Scripture this morning leads us into that thought. That discussion. So that's where we go this morning. It's all about our hearts, the love and the gratitude, the relationship that we have with our family, with our parents, but also with our Heavenly Father, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'm going to be preaching out of verses 6 and 7 that's there in your bulletin. That's the place where we're going to spend our time, but I would like to read the context, and we're going to read starting in verse 1. Through verse 13. Hear then the word of God. The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he's going to kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you will anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So Samuel did what the Lord commanded and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him with trembling and they said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And so he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Eliab, and he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Jesse called Abinadab and he made him to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shema pass before him. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And so Samuel said to Jesse, Are all these your sons? Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains uh, yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and he brought him in, and now he was ruddy and beautiful in the eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and he went to Ramah. Pray with me. 
Father, we come before you this morning as those who know and are aware that you look at the heart. You are not deceived by our appearance. You are not deceived by anything outward that we do or say or pretend. You know us. And you know us better than we know ourselves. Father, as we look at your word this morning, as we think about what this means for us, Father, we pray that you would meet us and that you would open our hearts toward you. That our love and appreciation would come before you. That our worship and our hearts would belong to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been talking, if you're visiting with us, we've been working our way through 1 Samuel. We've been in the first 15 chapters and we've been looking at the life of Saul and how God had given Israel a king. Israel had been clamoring for a king. They wanted a king like the nations. So God said, okay, I will give you a king like the nations. And he gave him Saul. And there's a sense in which Saul is something of a judgment upon Israel. They wanted a king like the nations and they clamored for a king. And he gave them a king after their own heart. They wanted a king like the nations and he gave them one. He gave them a king after their own heart. When Saul was done, time, when his time was done and he had proved himself and who he was and what he was like, the Lord had prepared and raised up for himself a man after his own heart. And David goes down in history as that man, the man after God's own heart. You see it there in your bulletin under the first point, Acts chapter 13, we're told, God says, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all of my will. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago and the connection between a man after God's own heart and a man who, or a woman who will do all of his will. And that these two things are connected. They're connected in Old Testament and New, the heart and the will. And, and, and the heart that is after God is a heart that loves and does his will. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Right? The heart that is after Jesus' own heart, the heart that loves him, loves his commands. Samuel then is sent on a mission. A mission from God. It's like the, the Blues Brothers. He's got a mission. He is sent out. You're going to go to Bethlehem and you're going to sort through the clan of Jesse and you're going to, you're going to find the man that I'm sending you after the next king of Israel. And so we get this story. He heads out to Bethlehem and he gets there. And in verse 6, it says, When they came, he looked on Eliab and he thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Runs into Eliab. And his first thought is, this is the guy. There must have been something impressive about this man as he stood before Samuel, when he shows up at the clan, I don't know, this, this house, and, and, and when you've got the family and all that are there, it's usually, a, a, you know, this, this whole, um, I don't know, I would call it a farm, but a, a, um, this whole operation that is going on that the family is running, there's people around, and as he walks into the family business and this piece of property, and he bumps into the first son, Eliab, and there's something about this guy that even Samuel is thrown off. Samuel, the Lord's prophet, takes one look and says, this, this, surely this must be the guy. I there, maybe he was, you know, your quarterback type. He's probably six foot three. You know, he's handsome, he's probably got broad shoulders, you know, that they stand out to hear. He's just one of these guys that Samuel walks up and says, King, 
This has to be the guy. This, this must be the one on whom Lord has, the Lord has his hands. But immediately God sets him straight, doesn't he? Verse 7, it says, the Lord says to Samuel, do not look on his appearance. Right? Don't look at his height, the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. That's what you're doing, Samuel. But the Lord looks at the heart. The issue for the Lord is the heart, not his stature. It says, don't look at his appearance and his stature. He's probably tall and good looking. Right? Isn't that what the world values? He's tall, dark, and handsome. Right? This Israelite. I'm sure that's exactly what he was. And so Samuel is snowed in his first bumping into him. God says, don't do it. You know, Jesus says the same thing. It's there in your bulletin, John chapter 7. Jesus says, do not judge, do not judge by appearances, but judge by right judgment. He says, when you judge purely by appearance, it's not a right judgment. You've only seen the surface of the thing. And we know how the surface of things can throw us aside. It's a shallow assessment. We, we say the same thing. God says it here to Samuel. Jesus says it here. And we say it all the time. We have several things in our expressions that we say, right? Looks can be deceiving. Right? Don't look on the outward because looks can be deceiving. Or don't judge a book by its cover. Because the artwork on the front, you get the right artist, you get the right, you know, you spin it the right way, you get the right um, casting and marketing, and, you know, the book can be full of trash. You know, but don't judge a book by its cover. Beauty is only skin deep. Right? The beauty that you're seeing, it may not run beyond the skin. They may be a beautiful person, but that doesn't tell you what kind of person you're dealing with. Right? And so we all know the same things that God is driving at. You have to dig deep deeper to understand a thing and to not be thrown off by appearance look beneath the surface what's inside what is the true nature of it Jesus deals with this because this is obviously becomes very true when we're talking about human beings we're talking about spiritual things and spiritual beings and Jesus when he comes into Israel and and he does this winnowing as he deals with the people there, he, he goes to this issue. This is the issue for him. What's out there in this religious nation in Israel? What's out there on the surface? What things look like religiously? And what's beneath the surface? What's going on? And so there in Matthew 23, Jesus says, he scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, he says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. But within, they're still tombs. Within, they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. And so, he says, apply this, brothers. He says, so you outwardly appear righteous. You look good. Right? You've got the facade perfect. You outwardly look, look good. But within, you are full of hypocrisy. And lawlessness. Right? He says you have a veneer of goodness. You know what veneer is? I was just thinking about this in, in terms. I've got a lot of furniture that's veneered. Everybody, you know, you want solid wood furniture. Because veneered furniture is furniture that's made of a, of a lower wood. It's not as beautiful. It's not as costly. It's not as nice. You make a piece of furniture out of that kind of wood. And then you put a veneer on it. You get a very costly wood. Mahogany. 
cherry, oak, and you make sheets of it, very thin sheets of it, and you literally glue it to the wood, the, the wood underneath, and you, and you glue it to every side and around the whole thing. So I have furniture in my bedroom that looks fantastic. It looks like this beautiful cherry furniture. But if you look at the bottoms where I vacuum and have, and have nicked the thing, you know, there are little chips out of it. You know, this wood that you bump the wood and chip comes out. And you see that that beautiful cherry top is, is an eighth of an inch thick. And it goes all the way around. It's, it's, what's underneath is not, it's not solid. It's just a veneer of beauty. Right? It's just a veneer of nice, costly wood. But when you get underneath, it's not what it appears and Jesus says to these guys, you guys have a, a veneer of goodness. <laughs> you know, you, you, you're looking good on the outside, but it's just an eighth of an inch deep. And underneath, it's not, underneath is not what we see coming out here on top. There's this contrast between the outward appearance and the inward reality. How we appear versus who we really are. This is the Bible issue from its very first pages till its end. This is the issue that Jesus comes preaching and teaching. This is the issue he comes challenging people and calling people in as he does this whole thing. He's he's just getting past the appearance, the appearance of righteousness and the appearance of sinfulness, you know, and all of these things as he calls us to himself. The truth is we live in a culture that is obsessed with whitewashing. Right? We live in a culture, don't we? Everything is whitewashed. Everything is spun. Everything is veneered, right? Everything's got this eighth of an inch covering on it to make it look nice. And we do it. We live in this culture uh, of, of, that is obsessed with outward appearance and obsessed with the way things appear to other people, how, how other people think of us. We worship beauty. We worship appearance. And the danger in a culture like ours is that we take more care And I believe that it's absolutely true in our culture. We take more care to look good than to be good. We take more care. I mean, even in the course of a day, how much time do we take to to get it all together and to look good? How much time did did I spend today looking to the soul? How much time today did I spend making sure that I'm, I'm right with God and I've kept short accounts and, I, and that before Him I stand clean and right and, and that I'm, I'm growing in the right directions and where I've got trash, I'm taking it out and dealing with it. And we take so much more time to look good than to be good. More time dressing the body and adjusting our masks than nurturing the soul. Who we really are when it comes right down to it. The world is captivated by outward appearance, by beauty and popularity and success and wealth and all the trappings of the outward life. In the church, unfortunately, we become enamored with the same things. It's the air we breathe as we swim in this culture. And we become enamored in the same way with churches. You know, size is everything. How big is your church and how wealthy is your church and and how much of this do you have going on? And let's see your campus and all of the stuff that you have and let's see we can become, and I'm not saying even some of those things are, are wrong. What happens is, is that the inside doesn't always match the outside. And we're more concerned, we take much more time developing the outward than we do nurturing the soul. Right, the church, we're enamored with getting the words right in our spiritual lives. We want the right words, we want the right activity, be doing the right things. 
We want to have a certain amount of knowledge. And sometimes the church, in the church, people were obsessed with what people know. But Jesus comes after, the scripture comes after every one of these things and says, they're good in themselves. But the question is going to be what's underneath. Right? We're concerned that people say the right words. You know, in the church, we, we do this all the time. In fact, we have our own subculture, our own language, and our own things that we expect people to say and ways that we expect them to do it, prayers that are the prayers that you've got to pray. And so we're concerned that people say the right things in the church. Have they said the right thing? Did we get them to say this thing, to profess their faith, that they believe in God or that they believe in Jesus and the cross? But the interesting thing that Jesus in the Scripture pushes at us is that Actually, according to the Bible, belief in God is useless if the heart is not devoted to Him. Did you know that? I mean, it's a shocking thing that the Scripture pulls out because He's going to say, you know, there's the outward things that we say, but what we say is not nearly as important as where the heart is. And in one way we say we believe in God, but the question is, is the heart devoted to Him? Do we know Him and love Him and walk with Him? Are we devoted to Him in our worship and in our in our lives. So in your bold in James chapter 2, James writes this letter to the church and he says to some of the folks who are outwardly saying the right things. But he says this, you believe there is one God. You do well. That's a good start. You're monotheistic. You believe in God and you believe there's only one. That's good. It's a good start. You do well. But he says even the demons believe. And they shudder. What are you saying is this, that, that Believing in God is a no-brainer. God is. I mean, you can, you can do with that what you will. God is. God is not worried about whether we believe in Him in that sense. He's not, you know, he's not put off or, um, you know, we're not doing Him any favors when we believe in Him. And He says, believing in God, He is. It's a no-brainer. But the question underneath that, demons believe in God. The enemies of God believe in Him. The question is, so what? What do we do with that? Demons believe, but they aren't devoted to Him. They don't love Him. They haven't responded to Him. They haven't, they haven't come to Christ for uh, the covering of their sin and, and their freedom in a relationship with God. Demons believe, but they remain His enemies. Knowing the right things or saying the right things, when the question is, truly, are we devoted to Him? Right? We do the right things, a level of activity, and sometimes in a church, you know, there are a lot of things that we impress us, and I've seen it in church again and again. As we even look at other people, and we'll see somebody, and they'll be like, they are so involved in the church, like their hand is on everything. They're so active, like they do everything, they're everywhere, you know, you wonder if they have a power, you know, that's, that's my power, I'm all places, and he's got him there, and then he's there, and then he's there. It's like, you do everything, and we're impressed. And I, and I would say, Jesus would probably say this, James would say this, you're very active in the life of the church, you do well. But do you, do you know and love and are devoted in worshiping and serving Christ? Right, J- Jesus says this in Matthew 7, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Jesus says, underneath, underneath, get past the veneer. You did all this stuff. And he's like, great, you know, you do well. You do well. Doing stuff is good. He says, you do well. He says, but underneath, do I know you? Do you know me? Are we in a relationship? 
Are you walking with me? Are you following me? Are you devoted to me? Am I your savior and your king? And, you know, do you, he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And so are we loving him and keeping his commands? You know, he gets underneath what we say and what we do. And, and he even gets under what we know, right? Bible. People are impressive when they quote Bible. They're impressive when they know theology, right? I, there are times I'll sit with people and they know more than I do. And you're, you're back, and back and forth. They can argue with the best of them. They can quote scripture to you. But I have to say, there are many times I wonder what's underneath. Because sometimes the way we argue and the way we hold our knowledge and the way we hit people with our theology, you know, and the way that we wield these things uh, often betrays not a love to God, but a love for ideas in myself knowing them right and Jesus in in 1 Corinthians 13 the scripture says if I have prophetic powers and I can understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have faith that can move mountains he says and I have not love I am nothing right I can have all knowledge I could I could know the Bible by heart and be able to explain its theology to you and he says if you have not love he doesn't say you're a little bit less you know, you, 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 you fall a little bit short if you don't because you got all that. He says, I can have all of that. But if I have not love, I'm nothing. What's underneath is what matters. Because what's underneath is who we really are, right? It's, it's who we are before God. The real question is, where is your heart? Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you worship him? Because God is looking at our hearts and he's not distracted by our Sunday clothes. Right? He's not, he's not distracted by our activity level. He's not impressed with my knowledge. You know, when I have a conversation with him about theology, I don't, you know, I'm dwarfed. He's not impressed. He's looking deeper. This is an eternal truth before God. He's looking deeper. God is always looking underneath. He's always looking underneath. He's always looking inside. Hebrews 4.12, it's there in the bulletin. It says, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Of joints and marrow, he is discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Right? No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Right? We're not physically exposed. Right? He says he divides soul and spirit. That he's discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. He's, he's looking at who we are. I mean, that's what God is interested in, isn't he? It's the world that looks at the appearance. It's the world that plays that game. It's the world that manufactures sheets of veneer and pastes it all over. It's the world that manufactures masks. God is interested in one thing and one thing only. Who are you in relation to him? He sees us, right? That's what this text says. He sees us. He knows us. Let me ask you this. What is he looking for? When God is looking underneath, right? He peels it back and he gets a view. What is he looking for? It's interesting that he is looking at our hearts to see what we love. That's ultimately what he's looking for. 
God is looking at our hearts and he's looking to see what is it we love. What is it that we have given our hearts to? Where is our affection? Right there it is in your bulletin under the second. Jeremiah 12, 3, he says, But you, O Lord, you know me. You see me. And what does he know and what does he see? You test my heart toward you. Right? Do you see that? You test my heart toward you. You see me and you know me. And what is he looking for? This is what it's all about in the scripture from the first page to the last. God himself has created our hearts and our souls. And he has created your heart. And he's created your soul that underneath that core you and who you are. And he's created it for one primary purpose. The purpose for which that hidden part of you was made was the purpose of knowing him and loving him and serving him. And so he has made us for himself. Right? He didn't make us for ourselves. He didn't make us, you know, he's, and that's why he's so interested in who we are under there, because he made you for himself. And so he comes after us. His concern is do we know him and do we love him because we were made for this. Matthew 15, 8, it's here in your bulletin, Jesus quoting Isaiah and the Old Testament in several places says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me, right? Do you see? His concern is this, that our hearts are saying, our, our mouths are saying the right things. But his concern is the proximity of our hearts to his. Isn't that a, that has got to be one of the most astounding things that scripture has to tell us. That the thing that God is most concerned about in his relation to human beings is the proximity of your heart to his heart. And, and what he comes after and he says that you're, you're, you're saying the right things, but your hearts, where is your heart? Is it near or is it far? Is it distant? You know, when a spouse says to the other spouse, you seem distant. Or boyfriend to a girlfriend, any, any couple or any relation, you know, you seem distant. What are we saying? They're here. <laughs> they might be saying the right things, but what were we driving at? You don't, I don't feel loved, you know, or where, where are you? Are you still with me? Are you still with me? He says, God says, these people draw near to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Are you still with me? You know, are you still, you still love me? Is something going on? Isn't that behind this question of the spouse? You seem distant. Is something going on? So what are we going to do? As I'm writing this and thinking about this, that this truth that God is looking at our hearts and he, and he wants our love and he wants us to belong to him. And what are we going to do as we even hear this thing? Part of us should be, should feel nervous about this. That God is looking in at that level, that he knows us at that level, that he knows us as we really are and who we really are. If he's looking this close, and, and if you know your heart at all, it should make you a little nervous. You should be thinking, I need some help in this area. I need some help in the area of my heart. And the good news of the scripture is, and why we gather to worship week after week, is that this is the good news. He doesn't just look and scrutinize to, to make us feel nervous, but he actually comes at us and he wants, to, he wants to unveil us. That's why he says we're exposed before him with whom we have to do. He wants to expose us. Why? To heal us. 
right? And to heal this relationship, to make things as they should be. Just as in a marriage, you know, when I say you seem distant, it's not that I'm like, I just want to make you feel bad. Or No, what I want is to be close to you. And so God comes and he, he exposes and he pulls away the veneer because he wants to heal the relationship. We call it the gospel. There it is in Ezekiel 36, verse 26. God says, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. I will give you a new heart. I will renew your center. I will push past your Sunday clothes. I will push past the outward appearance of things. I will push past the things you say and all the stuff that you do. I will push past it all and get to the core of things. And he says, if you will meet me there, I will give you a new heart. A new heart toward me. I will put a new spirit within you and make things right. I will renew the core of our relationship so that you will know me and you will love me and you will serve me. John 7, 38, there Jesus, as he comes, this is his offer. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Right? He says everything that you think and everything you say and everything you do flows out of the heart. And he says, come to me and believe in me and put your faith in me and embrace me and follow me. And he says, when you do, that center, out of the center, out of your heart will flow new stuff. Out of it will flow new, you will think new things, you will say new things, you will, you will do new things, you will live differently, you will walk with me. Your heart will be changed from the inside out. That's the offer. That's what, what Jesus comes and he says, that, that as we understand that we have this God with whom that we have to do, and Jesus, the offer is, I'll change you from the inside out. I will give you a new heart. I'll make you right with God. I will make you as you were created to be. I will put you back in touch with the one who has made you and who loves you and who has done everything in sending his son to save us. Come to me, he says. Believe in me. Trust in me. And your heart will be changed. Your heart will be new. Proverbs 4, there he says, this is why the scripture tells us, keep your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. We keep our bodies. right? We love our bodies. We work them out. We dress them nice. We comb the hair we got left. You know, we dress it up. We paint it. Sometimes we do surgeries. You know, we do what we can. We try to get, you know, we take care of, you know, we keep our bodies. That's in a sense a no-brainer. We do that. The scripture, and this is at the core of it, brothers and sisters, keep your heart with all diligence. Keep it. Guard it. Protect it. Pay attention to what's going on inside. We live in a world that militates against this. The world does not want you to stop. The world does not want you to think. The world doesn't want you to pay attention to what's going on inside. The world is is in such a way that it drives us to keep busy and to fill us with just constant stimuli so that you're never quite aware of what's going on inside. 
right? We got music that plugs into the car, it plugs into our ears, it plugs into our room, the flashing screens everywhere we go. I don't even have to wait for my shows to come on. I, can, I, can, I got TV on demand, I got movies on demand, I got games on demand, and I don't even have to be home to do it because I got it on my iPad and my laptop, and we are constantly distracted. Don't stop. Don't pay attention. Don't notice what's really going on inside of you. Don't notice where your heart is. Don't notice that things are not as they should be. God says, look to the soul. Pay attention. Love list there at the end in the bulletin says, Christian experience can only be kept from degeneration. That is from getting worse and worse and worse. Our spirit. Spiritual lives can only be kept from degeneration by an insistence that it penetrate to the heart. That it transforms all of the personality by touching us at the root. Right? And that's what this is all about, is going to the root. Really, what is he saying there? We, Christian experience can only be kept from degeneration if you keep it real. Keep it real. With you and with God, what's really going on and what's not going on where your heart is. You know, you seem distant. Where are you? Where did you go? Keep it real. Is it penetrating? Is it getting in? Where are you with God? Where is it? You know, we could put up a good front with the people around us. But the Lord reminds us. He reminds you this morning, as His children, as those He comes after, He says, I'm looking at your heart. I'm looking at your heart. It would be wise for us to look at the heart. To look to the soul. To who we really are. Keep it real. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we are prone to be satisfied with our outward appearance. We are prone to allow distractions to keep us from really noticing what's going on with you and us. Father, we have a way of pretending. We have a way of acting, of going through the motions, of saying the right things. Father, this morning I pray that you would do that work within us where we would be desperate to keep it real with you. Desperate to be open and honest before you. Father, give us a new heart. Bring us to Christ that rivers of living water would flow from within. Change us from the inside out. Make us true through and through. Down to the root of us. You know us better than we know ourselves. This morning, help us to know ourselves. We might truly know and love and serve and walk with you. Father, help us to keep it real. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.